With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. Join it. Learn about stuff. Read stuff. See stuff. All kinds of things that you probably won't find anyplace else. This is the last show uh, of uh, March of 2017 uh, because we're going to go into another month. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually a nice Friday here in Chicago. It's nice and cool. You know, it's, it's getting there. We have actually had 80-degree weather this year. We went up to 82 uh, not too long ago, which kind of freaked people out, you know. And folks really thought it was the harbinger of spring. But, uh, you know, in Chicago, that, that truism that's always said is, uh, if you don't like the weather here, wait a minute. And and that is true. I've seen it go from snow to oh, I was out filming a movie. We were filming a movie. We had sun, we had rain, we had snow, and we had wind. And you know, whoever chose the location chose it right under the flight path of uh, O'Hare Airport. So we had to stop filming about every forty seconds. That was pretty stupid. Anyway, tonight's special guest is uh, Lena J, and according to Jarvis, she's a picture maker, dream creator, teacher, scribe, God's child, and professional snake charmer. I have to admit, the latter one is the one I'm most interested in, um, because that whole snake charming thing, you know, uh, I'm wondering if that's a metaphor or if that's for real, but welcome to the show, Lena. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to well, to be on the air. Well, good. And and where are you coming to us from tonight? Charlotte, North Kakilaki. Yeah, how is it out there? You know, them Carolinas are crazy to me. Hmm. Talk about my city. Let's see. <laughs> what can I tell you about Charlotte? Um uh let's see. The weather right here is a little up and down, but um I will take it to either extreme of a place that's really, really hot or really, really cold. Um, we okay. don't really have a winter. It's pretty much just kind of warmish or coldish, never like either extreme. I love you it. You don't really get like a snowstorm or anything like that? No, we're one of those kind of cities where um, if you get an inch, people pack the grocery stores and buy every ounce of bread <laughs> and water. It's and like a disaster for you guys. Oh, yeah, they shut down the schools, and it, it, it's hilarious for me to watch. <laughs> you know, don't but feel bad. They do the same thing anyway. in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, don't feel uh, bad. They do the same thing in Atlanta. They do. They do. But um, we get a little more than they do. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. on the equator, a little warmer there. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good night tonight. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Um, and, and did you have a good week ahead? Yes, I did. Or I behind, did. Um, yeah. Um, it was rather productive. Um, 
I got a lot of work done. I've got one more picture to do for a client and um, some a, a gig tomorrow, blah, 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 art stuff, art stuff, art stuff. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Um, I, I, I was productive, not kind of like you, not with art, but I, I did about four and a half chapters for this latest manuscript in the last few days. Um, and, and mostly because it was exciting, an exciting part of the story. You know, it's kind of like the inciting incident to the climax of the, the story. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that when it's like that, it's pretty cool. It, but the problem is, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm on a, a creative role, I really resent anything that comes along and and tries to break my concentration or yes. get me out of the house or whatever. Are you like that too? I'm fanatical about that. I I call it the zone. And, you know, when I'm there um, in my little art matrix or my literature matrix, whatever it is, um, I I don't like to be disturbed. And I've got to do real-life stuff, you know, so I've got to, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. pop out, pay bills. Um, I'm also a mom, so I've got to take care of my kid. But when it's late at night and it's just me, oh, how old? Yeah, how old is it? Or she? Um, I, I, well, it's it both. I have two. Uh, the daughter okay. doesn't qualify as a kid since she's 21 and a junior in college, but she's my okay. kid. Um, <laughs> All right. A bi- biomedical engineer major, North Carolina A&T. Woo-hoo. And Very cool. my son, thank you. My son is 12 and in elementary school. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> middle school, middle school, well, middle school. Yeah, so that's like a household. No, and, and you know, I'm really lucky in that in that respect. You know, I I, I live alone, and the more I do it, the more ah. I like like it. But I, you know, I wonder if I'm gonna ever. There are some days when I feel like I am like a rocking chair and a porch away from being that guy telling you <laughs> get the hell off my lawn. I'm, oh I'm, my I'm, I'm just I'm just being honest, you know. Because sometimes I just don't want to be bothered. And nowadays, when you look at what's going on politically in this country, I don't want to be bothered with a whole lot of people, you know, a whole lot of who I can't even say that, but a whole lot of lightly complected people who thought that this moke was a good idea. Um, Are we going there tonight? Just warn me. No, we better we better not because you know what? Uh, I can um, take it there. <laughs> oh no, no, I know you can, but you know what? People don't give. I don't think they really want to hear about your politics or my politics so nah, much nah, nah. because, you know, we're kind of looking at the creative view. But, man, I could do – see, this is why Jarvis doesn't let me do the show alone when we don't have a guest <laughs> because I could do about nine days in a row about politics. Um, and they'd be funny, but, but you know, we don't that, – that's not what it's for. Okay, so like, take a break. when you get in the zone <laughs> – well, I mean, I get the being in the zone thing, but but for you, you've got you. It sounds like you know your your life and and the circumstances of your life um, are are more prone to having interruptions and things like that. And and when you do have an interruption, are you able to jump back in and and kind of recover the mood you were in that that you know to get back in the zone, or 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 is it is it hard? Well, honestly, yes and no. The truth is, since it's basically, well, it's my job. And Mm -hmm. this is something I was telling a friend of mine. When you are a hobbyist with art, 
you could put it down, go do something else, pick it up a month later, a week later. But when you have deadlines, even when you don't feel like doing a client's work or you're dead tired or you're just, just not in the mood, you just have to kind of make yourself get in the mood. So I have little tricks. Um, I'm working on a project now. It's of a uh, sensual nature. I play music mm-hmm. that kind of goes along with the project. When I'm working on something with sci-fi, I'm kind of playing music that goes along with that, uh, whatever music genre fits the project. And that kind of helps me. It's something about hearing music that goes along with the, the subject matter I'm doing that keeps me mm-hmm. there. And when I have those interruptions, I take care of it, and then I go back in my little cave and I grunt and, and do my thing. Well, I don't really grunt, but I I do go back in my cave and get my work done. No, that I mean that makes a lot of sense. I mean, music is evocative, scent scent is evocative. When you you know, um, all of those are really tied closely to the brain. I use music a lot. Uh, for a while there, I watched movies, but then I would get distracted, or I would be typing, and then somebody would say a word in the movie, and then I type that word instead. You know, most of them do that. <laughs> but but for me it's music. You know, I've been in, I've I've been like into music since yes. I started to say like about 1975. Plus the music we grew up with. Everybody's milk music <laughs> is something that's really evocative because it kind of brings you to your grounding uh, and even to the excitement of discovery. When you get to you know when you like when new cool tunes came out when I was in high school, we were all over them. You know. Or, mm-hmm. or when I was in the club DJ and, and like, cool. when uh, uh, Brick kicked it off with Daz, you know, I mean, they basically kicked off the entire disco movement. Yeah, we had discos. Yeah, we had dance clubs. But, man, the, you know, the years from 1975 to 1981, you know, all of that music is in my head. I even have the album still because I got a turntable. But I'm telling you, 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 doing... you were a DJ? You, you were a DJ too? Oh, yeah. I did That's radio cool. and club work. Um, and I was in. I did radio in '75, and then in '76, uh, a, a place that was. I, I was working at a record store in Green Bay, and then they opened uh, a disco downstairs in the basement. And so they they came up, they got a bunch of records, and then the owner said, "By the way, do you spin records?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm on the radio," and and that's how I got my first, you know, DJ job. But yeah, I've got I've got a ton of music. I still have records here. I've got I think eighty thousand songs on on one of my computers that plays all the music in my living room for me. So I, I'm into that. But for you, let's talk about you. What what kind of music is that evocative for you that jumps you right back into the zone? Oh wow, I've actually got like different playlists. Um, uh, let's see, what where would I start? I'm it's very eclectic. I'm all over the place. It really just kind of depends on, and I feel like it's unfair to the different genres if I say this is my favorite. Um, when I'm in the mood for hip-hop, there's certain things that I just I have to hear. And I mean old school. Right. I, I can't do with this new stuff that's out now. Don't even, um, I, I can't name half the groups. I don't even, well, okay, I'm not going to slam it. Just, it's not my thing. <laughs> uh, but no, no, I get the that. It's up to some... the mid-2000s. <laughs> okay, yeah, see, today, all right, if somebody asked me, for instance, because I just saw he was playing piano either in an airport or a store or someplace, if somebody said, give me, give me the title of a John Legend tune, sad to say, with my old-ass self, I couldn't do it. You know, I, <laughs> I couldn't name I mean, a couple of his songs. <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm just saying, for example, and I think partly because I, I just, 
I don't see the music or I don't hear the music today as being the same kind of music that I grew up with or that I really liked. I mean, I, I kept up up until the 90s, maybe the 2000s, and, and it really isn't. I mean, every now and then something comes along that's got like a really good, a really good, lays down a good beat or something like that, you know, and, and it's so evocative and it's so unusual. That's the thing I look for. I look for something that I haven't heard before, you know, and when I hear something hmm. new, like, um, Let's go back to the 90s. Was it the 90s? Yeah, the 90s. All right, when OPP came out, with that bass beat? And, yeah, and, and that was and the two keys. It, it, it was. It was. And, and the moment you hear it today, it's, it's, it, like, transports me back. So, it does. So as you, soon as you mentioned that, I automatically heard Dave drop a load on him. That was already big. Yeah, <laughs> drop a load on me. As a matter of fact, I did, I did a... Uh, uh, a parody of it. Okay, you know people are going to say bad things about me, but do you remember Damon Wayans in in Living Color when he played Handyman, the oh, handicapped yeah. superhero? Okay, I I I did a version of OPP sounding exactly like Handyman, and <laughs> and people people were very very uncomplimentary about me having the nads to do something like that. It's like, what are you doing? Boy, you're making fun of, you know. But when they heard it, they laughed at it. But anyway, look, you know, we're getting off track here. So so you've got an eclectic music taste that spans about a couple of decades, right? Right. And and so when you hear the music, are you able to just, you know, kind of focus directly back in on the art when you restart? Um. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I, there was a segue I wanted to kind of connect when you mentioned the handyman thing. It made me think um, of um, something I wanted to point out. A lot of my work, um, I'm a cartoonist. That's my, my bread and butter, um, my mm-hmm. full-time job. And so much of what I do deals with um, with, with parody, with, with exaggeration. And it's sure. a fine line that you're going to walk with that. So when you mentioned the thing about handyman, I automatically thought, okay, you know, the, I'll spare you, like, um, the speech about how um, PC society is, has become. But, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have to kind of, like, find the middle ground for me. That's where I am with it. Um, there's some things I simply would not touch because it's too much. You know, you've got comments like Louis C.K., he'll go there. <laughs> um, as a cartoonist well, yeah. and as a woman, I feel that um, people wouldn't be as forgiving. So I do try to walk a fine line. So I just wanted to comment that I, I got where you were coming from about the parody of that. I grew up on Mad Magazine. I mean, I came, you know, yeah, those were sure. my biggest inspirations, Mort Drucker, Jack Davis, that mm-hmm. whole usual gang of, of idiots and that's what um, that was a huge part of what made me want to become a cartoonist. Yeah, let's 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 cast back there. Um, every everybody, you know, either grabs crayons or you know, pencil, colored pencils or whatever. And and as a child, you know, we all draw because it's it's part of the you know the preschool, elementary school curriculum. But for you, was it when you started drawing? Did you know that this was going to eventually? I mean, how how was it to you when you started drawing? Did you feel it then already, or or did it develop later? The you know the the bent toward the creative arts. 
Well, let's see. <laughs> Here we go with my born daughter of a sharecropper story. Um, I was a little girl, three years old, <laughs> okay. and yeah. that's when I first started, like, actually drawing. Like, um, that's the recorded age that my parents tell me, like, you were drawing at three. Um, my father is an artist. He's what my professor would call a Sunday in the park artist. It's He's very talented. He came up in an era where, Nobody encouraged him to do anything with that. You go get out and get a real job. So he's coming from from, from that kind of thinking down south. Um, I was fortunate to be a child of the 70s, a little easier for me to consider making it as an artist. And I've worked really hard to to make this as a a full-time career. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from three years on up to now, it's all I've ever, like, I have a lot of interest, but that's the thing that um, nothing drives me like art. I mean, I'm trying not to get into the corny area where it's like uh, art is my life, it's what I live for, but it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So no, that's and, and you know what, what I, I kind of get that. So, so early on, you know, what kind – I want to ask, did you do things that really stood out early on? And, and, you know, one of the things that's kind of universal for parents, for, well, actually for all kinds of creatives, is if if you do indulge in the creative arts, you've got parents who, who, who tend out of love to say, well, you really don't want to do that. Uh, why don't you concentrate on something that's going to make you money? You know, uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that from a lot of creatives, you know, especially younger ones, because their parents love them. They're not trying to dissuade their imagination, but they're trying to gently, you know, focus them to to be successful in a way that's more more mainstream, financially secure. I think, is that a fair thing to say? Yes, it is. And, I mean, that's, that's an yeah. honest thing to say. And any artist you know, who's been in it for a minute, um, they they have to, to, to be honest about that, that um, this is not the career you get into for security, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not at all. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a faith, it's, it's a faith-based career. I always say that, um, <laughs> you know, good. if, if you don't pray, you have a darn good substitute because, you know, you just don't know. Anything could happen. Your clientele could dry up. Uh, you could get crippling arthritis, anything, you know. Um, so I just have faith that I'm going to keep work coming in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, okay, so going through school, were you, did you take art-based classes to kind of build up your, your you know, your, your fundamentals? Um, how did that go? Like, let's say high school and, and, and anything after that. Okay, well, here's the juicy stuff. I oh, had um, <laughs> a combination of teachers, um, and it makes me now, because I'm, I'm an art teacher myself, um, part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm compassionate, I'm sympathetic in the way that I address young people because I would never want to be that teacher who would crush a young person's dream because I didn't think they had it. Um, and, uh, you know, there are teachers who are sometimes jealous of their students as well. I had great professors in college. I went to Winston-Salem State University um, mm-hmm. and loved my professors. They they were excellent. 
when I was in junior high school, I had a horrible art teacher, and um, it didn't, you know, stifle my interest, but uh, it was the first time I got introduced that an adult could be cruel. And, you know, that... What, well, what was she doing? I mean, what was she like? What, how, you know, what the hell was wrong with her? <laughs> Honestly, a couple of things. Yeah. Race, uh, racism was, was a factor. <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, and... But it wasn't the only factor. I think that it was... Uh, looking back on it, I really felt like she... I don't think she had to me, the heart of a teacher. I think she wanted to instruct, but she needed to be around maybe older people. Her patience wasn't there. Don't want to dwell on that, but, you know, it's one of the things that I think back on and it gives me, um, I go out of my way, bend over backwards to be patient, even with that child that tries your nerves because, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, you have to like kids. I don't think she liked kids. I think it just kind of came down to that. It's a mean lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, it, it's it's sad when you have a a teacher in the system who who really shouldn't be there. You know, but I'm gratified that obviously she wasn't somebody who dissuaded you from your from your path because you know when people are younger when they're when their egos are not as well developed when they don't understand that that their outside influences are not always going to be best for them even though adults are supposed to be people that you look up to and you're supposed to obey and and you know crap like that there there's still that that kind of you're going to run into people who are just mal maladjusted or or un suitable for the jobs that they had. So, um, I mean, that's a good thing. I I came to writing late, so I didn't have any of that. I did a little bit of writing in high school, a little bit of writing in college, but it was all school-based. I didn't pick up, or I didn't sit down in front of a keyboard until like 2001, and I think I was like 94 then. So you you see how old I was when, when I started it. But for you, it seems like it was something that was natural for you and you just kept kept at it. It um, takes all types, it is my belief with creative people. Some people it's it's a latent thing. They come into it um, you know, with some age and I don't think it makes them any less legitimate. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's some um fine actors, for instance, who got into acting, for example. It's easy to use acting because it's so visible. You we know celebrities. And I've read bios on people who like they didn't get into it until like maybe 30 or 20s or by some free accident or something. And then there are people who just kind of like almost came out the womb wanting to do this, that, or the other. Um, yeah, for yeah. me, it's always been my passion. But I'll tell you, here's the thing. The the turning point was I remember when I was in my 20s, um, I was trying to do everything. I want to be a painter. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. children's book illustration. I'm trying to get work in different shows as a fine art, fine artist. I'm a sculptor, um, uh, mixed media collage, everything but selling incense on the corner and bootleg CDs. I was trying to do everything, and mm-hmm. I had yeah. an wait, 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 and, oh, and oh. we have to add and <laughs> professional snake charmer. Oh. 
you're not, you're not going to get away with that. You're going to have to explain that explain that sometime through the show. But yes, I, it's good that that's you, what an after hour show. You had you had a yeah you had a a wide range of things that were interesting to you. But I just want to let people know I was told that you were a professional snake charmer. But but you're right. You're the, the disparity between talent. First of all, there's no standard way for talent to manifest. And I think that uh, yes. you, you stated that well. You know, people come out of the womb ready. You know, they want to be a filmmaker. They want to be uh, mm-hmm. a sculptor. They want to, you know, they want to tell stories. And and yet, you know, then sometimes, you know, they, they, it comes late. And, and so there's no, that's the cool thing about creativity. There's no standard path. There's no stereotypical meme that satisfies all the ways creativity, you know, crops up in people. Um, for you, when did you decide that, I mean, you, you mentioned in the 20s you wanted to do every single thing that you possibly could creatively. And, and were, you, were you financially, no, commercially, I don't mean financially, were you commercially successful that early on? You know, did you get commissions? Did you, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about how you started out on that part because that's always interesting to people, you know, to see, well, what was it that turned you from crayons to cash? <laughs> I like that. Um, you know, it's really an interesting story. Um, it was my mm-hmm. uncle. He had a restaurant called McDonald's Cafeteria, and um, I grew up with a family of entrepreneurs. Dad owned a convenience store. Uncle had a restaurant. Another uncle had a, a laundromat. And I was fortunate that I could go to him and ask if I could set up and draw portraits and caricatures in the lobby of the restaurant mm-hmm. at, 17, mm-hmm. at 17, 17 years old. And mm-hmm. I was charging three bucks <laughs> per person but happy to do it because, you know, most of my, my friends and classmates, you know, they're at Mickey D's. They're, and I'm not putting down Mickey D's. But, you know, to be, even if I'm only getting $3 a drawing, it was, it was great. And right. that was my start into that. And I've kind of just hustled ever since. I mean, you name it, I've done some, um, some <laughs> strange things for the change. But always, you know, from an artistic point of view, I remember being a broke college student and asking um, the manager at Burger King if he would let me set up in the lobby mm-hmm. my freshman year because I was strapped for cash. And I was like, well, I can draw. And I grabbed paper and pen and, you know, I made like $40 in a couple of hours. But, you know, I was just happy I could do it. And that's where it started. Um, I look back and I go, I thought to myself, okay, if I can do this, um, mm-hmm. I can do anything as an artist. Um, have paper, have pen, will travel, will work. Um, and it, it made me feel fearless, like, bring it on. I mean, that's really how mm-hmm. I felt. You know, I, I, I think back on that time fondly because some of the things that I've gone after is because, you know, back in the day I felt like, okay, if I can, you know, hustle here, I can hustle anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of in awe because that's. I mean, first Thank of you. all, you classed up. You classed up a McDonald's. Did you said it was a McDonald's <laughs> or a Burger King? <laughs> Burger King. Thank you. It was a Burger King. Okay, so you definitely classed up a Burger King, bringing you know caricatures in there. 
It's BK Lounge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah the, B- <laughs> the, the BK Lounge or, or the, the BK Gallery. Um, but, <laughs> but see, that's, that's pretty cool that you went and, and, and set out because, you know, a lot of creatives don't. Uh, well, I don't want. I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But there are a lot of creatives <laughs> who don't. Well, no, who don't have a gregarious, outgoing personality. Mm. You know, and I and sometimes you. their egos are not that that forthcoming. That that uh, you know, it's it's hard for me. To, I don't like. I said I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But if I if if it were me and I knew how to draw back then, I don't know if I would have had the guts to go and do what you did, you know. But I, you know, maybe my parents would have helped out a lot because my parents were pretty. They were pretty um, supportive, except when I got in trouble. And uh, ooh, that was see that there was a lot of trouble that sometimes I got into, but sometimes not so much. But yeah, but that's I mean to to do that, and then also. You know, when you think about at that time, you know, okay, so you you make forty bucks. That's uh, that's uh, ten, ten to fifteen to twenty. You know, ten um, caricatures or or a few more. That's that's still doing a lot of work. It's still making some money and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, once you started doing that, <laughs> yeah, no, once you started, once you started that, I mean, what came next? What were what you know? Yeah, what what okay? What did come next? Um, well, like, imagine this. I'm 17, I'm 18, and I'm, you know, um, to be honest with you, a broke college student. Um, my mm-hmm, parents, mm-hmm. you know, they, they paid for me to get in, but they didn't have a lot of money to send to send up after that. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And so, you know, um, what's the term? Ingenuity uh, breeds resourcefulness. I think I'm messing it up, but it, it, wait, it really no, shows uh, Wait, wait, wait. It's uh, is the... Ingenuity is the mother of invention. Never mind. Is that it? Yeah, right. Right. no. Yeah, something, okay. something is the mother I mentioned. I, I forget what it was. Yeah, no, no, no. That, but that's no. I mean, we're very similar in that way. But you go ahead, tell your story. Go ahead. Well, it was sacred swim time. So, and it's, it's, imagine it's the 1990s. You know, picture this. Mm-hmm. Let's say on 1989, I'm painting on right. jeans because that's the era. So, um, I'm doing uh, you know artwork for for people for their assignments. Um, I'm doing flyers for the Greeks on campus. There's a party that the Alphas or the Kappas are having. I was the go-to girl for a flyer if you needed it on campus. Uh, you wanted oh, yeah, some yeah. artwork on your clothing. You know, it was like a little, mm-hmm. a little business in my, in my dorm room, you know, just drawing artwork for people. And then uh, from there, I, I went to the mall. I started drawing at uh, Haynes Mall. And then uh, amusement parks like Carolyn's, Myrtle Beach, and eventually to working with the talent agency and letting them kind of bring me some work so I didn't have to kind of hound after it quite so much. Man, that's great. I mean, that, Thank I, you. I, I was lucky. I always had jobs, but uh, but none of them, you know, none of them were, were in the, you know, in the writing field or anything like that. But um, I, it, it's just, you know, you're self-directed. You, you're a go-getter. You you definitely must have had talent, otherwise you wouldn't have been making money. I mean, this is this mm-hmm. is really a a success story, and it's also a good example for kids. I mean, you said you teach part time, right? Yes, I do. 
Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. How did you get into that? Uh, let's see. Uh, I've got about um, roughly about 20 years of experience as a teaching artist. And I like to phrase it that way. I didn't coin the phrase, of course, but um, out of respect for regular classroom art teachers, um, uh, I like to, to kind of make sure that people get the difference. I work with nonprofits, um, the library, mm-hmm. uh, park and recreation, not nonprofits like that. They bring me in and I do a specialized kind of art that isn't always offered in the school system, like a cartooning workshop or an animation workshop, um, a comic book workshop, you know, the kind of things, you know, where everybody else is like um, working on still life um, kind of uh, uh, drawings, linear drawings, um, the basics of art, um, learning the palette. I'm you know, trying to come up with something a little different. Not saying it's 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 better. It's it's not a better. It's not more fun, but it's different, and it's not necessarily mm-hmm. offered in in the classroom um, during the day. So that's where I come in and kind of mix it up for those kids who were like, I want to learn about um, Matisse. I don't want to learn about Picasso, and you kind of do have to. It, it helps, but but they also want to know how to draw like Rob Leefield. Okay, maybe not him. <laughs> I don't want to pick on him. Um, they want to draw like Jack Kirby. You know, that's where I come in. Right, right. Or they're they're definitely interested in. Um, oh, let's uh, let's check out uh, how how do you draw for a comic or how you know how do you draw for uh, a cartoon or a movie or something like that? Because I find when I talk to kids about art, about writing, about you know they they want to know. They're they're kind of grounded in in what are the commercial or financial aspects of creativity. Are you finding yes. that as well? It's depending on the age group. Um, I recently um, I've been doing like a part time series with Johnson C Smith University um, here in Charlotte, where um, I'm brought in a couple of times through the year um, through the year, and I'll talk to freshmen. Uh, the last classroom was actually a mixture of seniors and freshmen. And they mm-hmm. wanted to know the gritty details of uh, of being in the arts, not necessarily focused on um, uh, visual art, but just the arts, period. And I, I give them what a lot of people didn't give me. I would ask people who came to, um, when we had guest speakers in college, I would always want to know what matters more, portfolio or education. And they give me some PC kind of answer, and I guess I can't blame <laughs> them, but... You know, I'm just yeah. I'm like, I'm going to shoot straight with you guys and let you know this is what will keep you in the game. This is going to be the kiss of death. This, you know, and I don't know everything. I'm a work in progress myself, but I can tell you where I've been, and maybe it will save you some heartache. That's what I try to do. With little kids, um, depending on what age group I'm working with, they are – Occasionally they'll ask me about doing it for a living, but mostly they're focused on, can you show me how to make Pokemon or Hello Kitty, um, or they want to create their own comic book character, and it usually winds up looking like some version of Wolverine (laughs) or Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And, you know, but um, the main thing I try to get them all to do is have fun and channel kind of whatever's going on, frustration, love, anger, mm-hmm. sadness, mm-hmm. whatever you're feeling, art can be that savior. Art um, 
has has been that that saving grace for a lot of people where you channel whatever you're feeling into work and you get lost in it. There's, you know, the work that we do to make a living, and then there's art for art's sake, and that is primarily what I'm focused on, art for art's sake. Create art because it makes you feel good, because it makes other people feel good. If they want to know the gritty business side, I'm I'm, I'm there for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, the you know, as far as the therapeutic aspects of art or, or just creativity in general, um, we, have, we have an entire education system that denies the humanity of the people it's supposed to be serving. You know, we want you to pass these tests. We want you to get these grades. We want you, when you leave here, you best have the skills to go make change at McDonald's, you know. And, and so um, the, the, the use of art, the, the pervasive use of art has, has been greatly reduced. And I think it's good that you decided that, well, you didn't want to be like that bad teacher you had, you know. So... Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, for people who just tuned in, we're listening to uh, my guest tonight is Lena J. She doesn't Hi. use her last name because she wait 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 because she she says she doesn't want to change her name and have to keep re-identifying herself every time she gets married. Those are her <laughs> own words. So take them for <laughs> take them the way you I want. I did say that. And and for those of you who are, who want to hear the most spectacular part of the things that she does. It's listed here that she's a professional snake charmer, but your ass is going to have to hang on till the end of the show. I, I'm teasing that now. I told you that was so the after-hour show. <laughs> if, okay, all right. So anyway, um, she she's an artist extraordinaire, and you. and you know it, it it seems like you've got you you've got a pretty good professional career going for you. Now, and I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't want anything specific or anything, I don't want to get in your business, but are you at the point now mm-hmm. where your art can sustain you financially? Because that's a, that's my dream. I Obviously, I'm not at the point right now where people are buying enough of my books that I can just sit at home in my underwear and not have to worry about, you know, going out and working. But, I mean, where, where are you at in terms of your commercial performance? I'm, it sounds like you have enough, uh, at least a decent enough reputation that people are looking for you. But how, how is that working out for you, that part of it? If I can be honest, and here's the challenge I face. I'm going to be very real. Being an uh-huh. African-American, African-American woman in the South, I feel like when you toot your horn, you have to kind of like, for me, I feel like at times I have to straddle the fence between being very honest and confident, like this is where I am, without sounding cocky. The truth is, yes, I sustain um, a living. Um, for the past 20 years, this has been my only source of income um, in either teaching art or working as a cartoonist. Um, mm-hmm. You can include, I'm a muralist, so I paint murals. Um, I've got um, got one, at, uh, actually seven at Johnson C. Smith, um, a couple of the Great Enrichment Program. I'm naming places that nobody probably knows. Um, uh, here's one that, uh, an interesting story. I once did a mural for the main library downtown in my city in uh, the president, Bush, the first one, um, George uh, Huber, uh, 
Herbert Walker. Thank you, Herbert Walker. I keep thinking about W. Um, took a picture in front of the mural, um, and I was like, really cool. But then they didn't want to give me a copy of it. Something that was lost in the archives, and I was like, yeah. But um, you know, murals, children's book illustration, it's all relative to art. But you know, primarily, I'm a caricature artist. That's that's what I, how I make my living. I'm that person at the wedding reception, the bar mitzvah. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the kids' birthday party that's drawing the big heads and the little bodies in like five minutes. My quickest time being thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to get your get a likeness as quickly as possible, and then moving on to the next person. Um, sure, it is. A, I I really enjoy it. I, in fact, I've got a gig tomorrow, five hours, um, and uh, looking forward to it. So it's a, they're a great client. See, now you're living out, you know, many, many, many creatives, and it's creatives with the S and then the apostrophe. A lot of creatives dream, you know, to be, to be able to, to just work at what you love and, and to be self-sustaining. I mean, that's, that, I, my hat's off to you. I, I'm, you. I'm both uh, I'm gratified, I'm proud, and, and you make a great example for other people because, you know, it, it can be done. And a lot of it has to do with, I think, your inner drive, you know, and, and you have to be secure enough with yourself to, to get yourself out there. You know, you gotta have um, ego. When people say they don't yeah. have ego, I look at them like they've got like you know two heads. I'm like, I've never met a, a, a an artist who a working artist, and I mean all of the arts, you know, theater, writing, who didn't have ego. Something has to be in you to tell you, um, I'm good enough to 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 write this, to draw this, to dance, and people are gonna like it, and they are gonna buy it, and mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's where you are with it, but. It's a number of things, I think. it's um, the, the drive is, is a definite thing. I've got a friend who has a voice like a nightingale. I mean, she's a mm-hmm. classically trained opera singer. And she has zero ambition. And I love her to death. And I hope she's, I don't care if she's listening tonight. And, it, it, you know, she would always ask me, do you have an agent's number? Uh, hook me up with your friend that got you into the Mint Museum or this event. And at first I used to pass stuff on to her. And I finally realized, you know what, all this talent and a bachelor's to go with it, but she doesn't want it. You know, you really have to want it, and then you have to find your niche. You have to find that thing that will make people keep coming back. The truth is I know that what I do is entertainment more so um, than just art for art's sake. Um, it's a novelty thing. I'm not a carny, but, I mean, people are paying me to come and entertain their guests. It's art. They're going to take it and hang it up. But at the end of the day, you know, what they really want is for me to, to entertain them. And that, that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what I discovered. And people will pay good money to be entertained. You know, that's what I discovered. I was like more so than if I had to rely on just selling paintings in a museum. Don't get me wrong. I do show my work um, at, at different galleries. I've had a couple of one-woman showings. But if I had to survive on just that alone, um, I wouldn't. I, you know, I, I'm not that girl. Yeah. But, but I mean, you, you know, you got out there. You put yourself out there. You – and – 
I think, did you say earlier that, you know, it's a matter of reinventing yourself for the, for the time or for what's, for what's, you know, being able to not stick with the same old tried and true. I mean, trends change, entertainment changes, people's moods change, you know, like if you were, if you were a caricature, caricature artist who only did George Herbert Walker Bush, well, mm-hmm. you'd be out of a job now, you know? Oh yeah. You know, if you, if, if you only had one set of, yeah. So, um, that, that's another thing that people have to remember, you know, you have to be current. You have to, what you have to offer mm-hmm. has to be what pe- what's on people's minds at the time. Um, I'm so you know, glad it, you brought that up. Yes. Well, I it, keep I mean, talking. It, it, I'm just saying. It's it's pat it's patently true, and so you know people who may have been doing the same thing for five years, ten years, twenty years, and haven't changed much, and then find that people's interest wanes and kind of drops off, and they're not as popular. It, it's because they did not. They didn't pay attention to which way the mm-hmm. creative winds were blowing or the entertainment Peach. winds were blowing or whatever. Um, right now, oh, here, let, I'll give you an, uh, an example. We, uh, the Tonight Show with, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Fallon, okay? Yeah. Just yeah, between you and Fallon. me, I don't particularly care for him. You know, he's not oh. very entertainment. I think he's an obsequious little jerk, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody else, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> I always say that way. But, 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 but guess what? He's he's losing his ratings because he's not he doesn't want to do political humor. You know, he wants to be a nice guy to everybody. He had Trump on there and he ruffled his hair and all of that nonsense and, and it turned people off and his ratings are dropping. So you know, here's know an example. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he tried to he's try he tried to out Leno Leno. You know, Leno tried to be a nice guy to everybody. You can't out Leno Leno. Well, yeah, but but the person who had the most respect at night was David Letterman because he was caustic, he was cut, he was sarcastic, and yes. he was his satire was brilliant. He was just brilliant the way he could deconstruct people. So you know, okay, so now mm. Fallon's ratings are going down. NBC says, oh, you got to be more political. This is this is a perfect example of how you have to. You have to keep up with the times in order to to kind of maintain an an audience or maintain interest. Yes, Johnny Carson. I'm so I think glad Johnny you brought Carson, that up. I think Johnny Carson was the most brilliant person ever on television to be able to do that. Johnny Here's Carson. Oh, well, okay. his writers. Let's say his writers. But, but go ahead. No, please. Well, you know, as it relates to 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 art, this is what I will say. Um, I'm going to agree with you 100%. You you have to – relevant without becoming um, – how do I put this? Um, we were just having this conversation today, me and my boyfriend, about um, social media stars. Mm-hmm. And and I've, I've got a lot to say about social media. I have a love-hate relationship with it, mostly love, mostly love, because it has put me in contact with some of, like, celebrities, some of the best clients, um, agencies. Um, so much has come from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So uh, I'm grateful for it. It's a great leveling field for those of sure. us who are like, you know, I'm not in New York City. I'm not in Los Angeles, but I can have access to people all over the world, so I love it. But um, the, the thing that sometimes grates my nerves, you know, I'll do a piece of work, 
and I'll put my all into it, put it out there on social media, gets a response, gets a good response. And then some chick will, like, post a picture of herself. She's got, like, booty injections, like, um, can I say ass? Well, I already said it. Okay. Yeah, you can. Yeah, we're PG-13, so, yeah, you can say ass. Ass, 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 ass. So <laughs> she's got, like, this... <laughs> Got out my system. Okay, so she's putting a picture of herself up half naked, and there'll be like a million views. And I had to admit that there's a part of me that kind of hates on that because I'm like, oh, gosh, it's undeserved fame. It's undeserved attention, but it's short-lived, you know, and that is the thing. I want to be part of the national dialogue. I want to have artwork that, you know, I want to talk about Trump. I want to be able to talk about pop culture. So I use my art as a way to get in there, but the challenge Mm -hmm. is it's ever-changing, and the truth is sometimes the people, they they respond to the lowest kind of entertainment, the the lowbrow. Lowest common common denominator. Exactly. And it's like, okay, I'm not trying to, you know, belittle anybody who's doing that. It works for them, but the challenge as a creative is how to not feel like you're selling your soul just to get attention <laughs> or, or or followers or, or money if you're you're after clients. And I have to get really creative because that's what I'm competing with. I'm competing with um, the people on social media who are posting the half naked selfies, you know. So Yeah. You know, but but, well, but I, I welcome the challenge. I, it's common. It's common. Um, here's, here's my analog to what you just said. My analog to what you just said is Fifty Shades of Gray, okay? This terribly written, you know, a uh, housewife porn-ass novel <laughs> that this dumb-ass woman wrote on her Blackberry. This, this woman wrote that book on her Blackberry and, you know, because it was fan fiction, enough people saw it that she blew up in a way that I believe, as as a professional, I believe it's undeserved. I read the first few chapters. That's all I could read because it was so poorly written. You know, yeah, I really I'm with you. I didn't I get past. To, yeah. <laughs> I, wanted to see, I wanted to see what all the fuss was, and then that's when I realized that, you know, there's a whole lot of entertainment out there that appeals to the left side of the IQ distribution curve that I cannot <laughs> tap into. Actually done so. That I cannot, <laughs> I cannot tap into. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, what, the, what do I have to do to get above the noise level to hopefully be appreciated for what I do? And, and I've arrived at two things. One is I'm just going to have to try to maintain the quality of the work that I do and yes. hope that it, it it catches on. And it is starting to catch on. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because I'm really not complaining. I, I've had a lot of opportunities. I do this show, for God's sake. I, I have met you so got a many platform. Cool, exactly. black, cool black creatives that I never, 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 never would have met otherwise. Plus, more and more people know that the show exists, so they're picking it up as a podcast and things like that. But having said that, I, I'm exactly like you. I, you know, there, there is a resentment. And, and it's not with just, with just me. I've talked to a lot of creatives who, you know, our universal challenge is to get our work above the background noise level so that it, the discerning public will embrace us. And it, it, it is tough. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you, 
you did it brilliantly. But, you know, I, I started writing you. so late. And then there are so many people that, you know, I still have to get my name out there. But you know what? I'm going to do it a different way. I, I have let every sci-fi convention, and I'm talking the national ones, I've let uh, let every sci-fi convention planning committee know that my goal is to be the MC at the Hugo Awards. Now that's mm. out there. And and, cool. and let me tell you how, it, how it's going to happen. It's going to happen like this, because first of all, I'm biracial. Okay, so that plays into yep. their yep. desire to show that they are truly trying to be inclusive, okay, and that they, have, they do have uh, a devotion or a dedication to to the diversity of the creatives out there. All right, so I'm well, loving your honesty. You know? Well, I don't know. I well, okay, yeah, I, I am honest. I'm just, I just don't practice full disclosure. Um, a lot of this stuff that I've done, the statute of limitations hasn't expired yet, so I have to be kind of careful about that. But seriously, you know, and and then I, I have a decent sense of humor. You know, I put on every single one of those. Uh, questionnaires that they send out that I'm a half black, half Japanese les- uh, lesbian living in a man's body. Well, that, that's, that's a sit up and take notice kind of statement. And, and so, you know, I, I have found that, oh, you know what I can tell you? You know what I can tell you? What you rail against in terms of social media is the fact that celebrity, it's the cult of celebrity that drives our entertainment in this culture. Okay? Most people preach. <laughs> when, when, well, when, when, somebody, when somebody finds someone they like, okay, Louis C.K., okay, people, people love his humor. But now that they know his humor, then they're going back, they're going, oh, man, this dude wrote Pootie Tang, you know, or what, whatever it is, or, or Chris Rock, or or Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is, I think he's the shortest man in the Guinness Book of World Records, isn't he? Anyway, <laughs> he plays off of that, but now people want to see his movie. So the cult of personality is the thing that has short-circuited people who normally would not deserve the attention they get to have gotten the attention that they've gotten. And so that's a tough one. And, and I see exactly what you're talking about. I understand it really well. And, and, again, it just makes it that much harder for, for people who may not have some sort of quirk, who may not have run over a busload of nuns, who may not have, you know, accidentally been standing <laughs> in front of a TV cam, camera and their pants fell down, or whatever it takes to, to get noticed, get public notice. So it's tough. Well, let me say this. It's so, yeah, I was, um, I'm looking online, and yeah, someone I'm just asked too. a question. Uh, and well, as, and somebody asked the question is what we're talking. It, it's the perfect segue. Um, Tanya Moore um, asked, um, let's see, is it Tanya? Tanya? Am I saying it right? It's Tonya. Uh, Tonya Moore. Tonya. As a matter of fact, Tonya Moore. she was on the show too. And, and oh, she, okay. she's exactly, and, and so her question is exactly what we're talking about right now. Go ahead. Well, well here, I'll just read it. She says, yeah, okay. how to. Uh, how do you, as an artist, reconcile with the notion of trifling works getting more attention than the works that you pour your heart and soul into? Girl, I, I got a great answer for that. <laughs> Please, go ahead. 
Well, here you go. Okay. Um, it started with a combination of a, a drama professor I had in college and the movie Mo Better Blues. Mm-hmm, the same mm-hmm. advice. Um, I remember we were doing the Amen Corner at Wisconsin State University. Because, you know, like a lot of creatives, I dabble. You know, I'm multidisciplined. Um, I'm also a writer. I'm a published writer. But, you know, my alpha is visual arts. And then, like, sure. way down there's my beta is, you know, writing and then spoken yeah, word and all yeah. that, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I was doing my acting thing. And I was upset that the students on campus weren't packing it in to come see us do the Amen Corner. Um, and um, there was a, 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 they used to call them gospel plays or mama on the couch plays. And I was like, Dr. Edie, we are doing um, James Baldwin, or we're doing Lorraine Hansberry. How dare they not come support you know, their fellow students, and we're doing classic sure. black theater, and they're going right. to see the beauty shop. And, you know, I'm, I'm turning my nose up down on it. And he said the same <laughs> thing pretty much that um, that uh, Wesley Snipes' character says to Denzel Washington in Mo' Better Blues. Um, you don't have time to be highbrow about it. You really don't. It's sink or swim. And basically what I got from um, what was said in Mo' Better Blues as well as what my professor said to me is, you got to give people what they want. And if right. you don't want to do the lowbrow stuff, don't do it, but find another way to do it. You know, build a better mousetrap, uh, solve another problem. If they're wanting to see big booty hoes and you're not wanting to draw big booty hoes or you don't want to write about big booty hoes or whatever it is that, you know, is your discipline, then find something else that they want um, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. find a way and give it to them. So, I can, I can, you know, I joke and, you know, I, I, I tease the Instagram, you know, models. I tease them. I tease them. But <laughs> I've also decided, okay, look and see what they're doing to engage their audience. Why do people keep coming back? And I'm not going right. to do that, but I need to find something to make someone say, well, I want to see what she's doing now. So then I'll, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, my current thing is, the show, the show Empire is popular, and I heard in the gossip um, TV shows, I think Wendy Williams was saying that there's some beef between Nia Long and uh, Taraji P. Henson. So I'm sitting back calculating, thinking, how can this work for me? So I was right. like, okay, whether it's true or not, I already have a caricature I did of the entire cast of Empire and like a little animated okay. cartoon about them. It's called Empire-ish, like black-ish and Empire mixed together. <laughs> yes. and sure. What what I was thinking, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tweet about this. I'm like, hey, y'all think I ought to have me along and, and Taraji kind of battling it out in the cartoon, uh, art imitating life, life imitating art kind of thing, so then people are waiting for it, and I'm putting little teasers about it. You know, and it's not, you know, I'm not giving you nudity. I'm not giving you Housewives of Atlanta, but it is titillating for people who love those shows, you know, and also love art they're going to come back and, and see, like, well, what did she do with the Nia Long character? Right. Did she have her right. fight in Taraji? They pulling leaves out, you know, whatever. So that that's my way of doing it. Find a way to give them what they want. Um, you can't be mad about it. It, it. That's a waste of energy. You just have to say, oh, yeah, i, I got to find a way to get them to like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, and my reason, and, and for the exact same reason, the reason why I'm getting my name out there and I'm telling all these these 
you know, convention committees, planning committees that uh, I fully intend to MC the Hugo Awards and, and maybe even the Nebula Awards. But the Hugo Awards, I'm going right after the Worldcon people because they, they invited me to, you know, to, to moderate a bunch of their discussions That's and cool. things like that, inclu- including the one on Afrofuturism. And I did that one and I did the Afrofuturism uh, discussion at Boston. Uh, and and there was a woman there who saw both who who was at Worldcon and at Boston, and she, she she scared me okay so because I'm talking to some people and and behind me I hear a white lady go William William Hayashi I'm going you know I'm thinking okay do, do I have to change my flight because I'm going to be in jail I mean what the hell so anyway but she said you know I I saw your your discussion at Worldcon on Afrofuturism and the one that you did here and you did very well and and so I'm getting that kind of reputation and I want you know I'm I'm a great MC I I think I have a decent sense of humor I'm oh I know you do I already know for it. improv <laughs> and things like that so so why not tell people what you want to do and make them let you do it. That's that's my feeling about it. Because you know what? I've watched these things on cable. I've looked at the, the YouTubes and stuff like that. Some of these old-ass white authors are so <laughs> dry and so boring. And, you know, yes. it would, you know and, and I am so much better than them. And, and that goes to what you said about have a good, strong ego about yourself and be, be honest with yourself. I'm better it's a than sad frog that won't praise their own pawn. Well, exactly. And and you know what? I've been doing this for so long. I first got in radio in 1975. You know? Really? And, and, that, and that was talking to myself mostly. I had a call-in part of the show. Um, but, but that's mostly talking to yourself. And if you – and I had the highest-rated show – for for the whole state because I was on the state network because uh, it was coming out of a school. So if you are good at something, you know, I used to be self-deprecating after, you know, my first book come out. Oh, you know, Discovery was really good. You know, it was a story. Well, I go, well, thank you very much. You know, I, I just did the best I could. Hell no. I wrote a story that nobody else has ever done. Okay, and certainly nobody else has pulled it off as well as I have. Black folks living on the moon in the secret, in secret, before Neil Armstrong got there, nobody thought of that. Well, I'm not, yeah. you know what, <laughs> no, I, I'm, can't, I'm I can't not sit down here, sit down and not tell people that. Because like you said, if you don't put yourself out there, well, you know, the other half, the B side of that is nobody else is going to do it for you. You know, where are you going to find your your disciples? You know, I'm not going to be sitting at a table with 12 other guys. Well, 11 because one of them, you know. But, you know, I'm not going to have 12 other guys going forth and saying, you know, read this guy's stuff. I can't stand a lazy creative. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I used to think poorly of people who didn't promote themselves, but, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do it. Well, I know so much promotion. Now, that when I say lazy, just to be clear, I agree with you. A lot of people don't know, and and it's a learning process for me still. Um, it's uh-huh. a trial and error. But that being said, when I say lazy, I'm more like the process. Like, just don't want to put in the time to even do the work. Oh, I um, see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that well, that's well, it's something you said triggered mm-hmm. that thought. We we have um, I, I have mentioned to many many creatives about what I call the eighty twenty rule, and Ooh. and the eighty twenty rule for 
creatives and entrepreneurs because essentially when you start out, unless you have an agent or unless you have, you know, a publisher or a gallery or something like that, you are an entrepreneur and you are selling yourself, you're selling your own stuff. And the 80-20 rule seems, people seem to agree, creatives seem to to agree that they spend about 20% of their time doing their creative stuff and 80% of the, their time about the business of doing business, getting their name out there, doing social networking, um, yes. going to conventions and things like that, because that is very time-consuming, and that costs shoe leather, that costs airfare, that costs, you know, uh, uh, investing in your own work so that time. you can box it up <laughs> and bring it with you. Time. I mean, if you have a family, it's even tougher. So, so the 80-20 rule seems to apply kind of fairly universally. I mean, obviously, different people will have different percentages. But I, I'll tell you right now, you know, other than like the last couple weeks, most of what I do, you know, I'm starting to go to conventions. I, I, you know, I thought conventions were really not a good use of my time. And Jarvis used to get on my ass about that. He used to say, you know, you got to get out there. You got people have to see you. People have to, you know, it's not what you think right. it's like. You're not sitting at a table just trying to sell a book, because to me that's the, like the, the the most boring kiss of death kind of thing that I could do. Just sit there and go, please uh, see this beautiful cover here. The words inside are just as good. Buy my book. But yeah, like the critic. Remember they, that. Buy my book. Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing that he he said was no, it's it's networking, it's meeting the people, it's getting people to know you, and and he was so right. And you know, I I'm I'm not the the, the I can't I I am not the kind of person who can't admit that I didn't know something or that I or that I had a bad impression or that I was wrong, because the cult of personality is strong. You know, when when I meet people. I can sell myself better than anybody else can and better than anyone anyone else will. You know, if I get uh, HarperCollins or Tor or Penguin to pick up, you know, my books and, and to take, you know, the publishing part out of my hands, then that 80-20 flips. You know, I'll be spending 80% of my time on my creativity and 20% of my time going wherever the hell they tell me to go. So I'm looking forward to that, but in the meantime, the networking that I do when I meet you, when I, you know, when I talk to people, and when I went to, it, it, you don't, do you mind a little um, digression here? Can I tell a little story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I went to I, in uh, last in February. I went to Boscone Fifty Four, which is the oldest sci-fi convention in the country. This is in Boston. This was the fifty-fourth year, mm-hmm. and when I got there. You know, they uh, the, the 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 program person. Yeah, fifty fourth year. The 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 program person who who originally contacted me, I ran into her. Her name's Erin, and I forget her last name. I apologize, but she she had made a a very very concerted effort to get black creatives to be in Boston for this convention because Boston is not known as a bastion of off white people. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was thinking so I got I got there and and so there's you know, there's uh, uh there's Milton Davis, there's Christina Taylor Butler, there's Linda Anderson, and I know I'm forgetting somebody. 
oh, it, it'll come to me. I don't know. I'm old. I forget. But, but the cool thing was, was all of the, the African Americans on her program were people I had either spoken to, interviewed, or met before. Okay, so it, it, there's, there's a contingent of us who are willing to spend the money to go to these different conventions to, to present the fact that they're, oh, and I did some math. There's somewhere between five and 7,000 black creatives writers, artists, what? filmmakers, TV makers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somewhere between five again? and 7,000. Five to 7,000. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. So, yeah, you and I can see it. But when you talk about the larger world of science fiction, when you talk about Analog Magazine, when you talk about Asimov, and these sons of bitches are basically the gatekeepers to becoming more widely known. Okay, and I say that I say that kind, you know, and I, there's a little bit of bitterness, but then there's an understanding that they have their own formula. They have figured out what the formula is to keep them relevant and keep them in the forefront. But you yes. know what? You can't, you like can't ignore, let's say, it's, let's say it's the top number. You can't ignore the fact that in terms of Afrofuturism, black-themed horror, black-themed fantasy and sci-fi, you are going to have to pick other people than Octavia Butler, Samuel Delaney, Tanana Reed, down. Stephen Fox. <laughs> you are going to have to find four other people. You're going to have to find other people than those four names to put up as bastions of black creativity in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Because I'm sick to death of hearing about them. Okay? You know, and one of them is dead. So... The thing is, and when you've got yeah, 7,000 others, I have a problem with that. You know? Um, it's, 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 so anyway, when I, when I think of people like you, I'm wondering, well, okay, is your, does your artwork come to the, the threshold of being significant enough so that mainstream publications, mainstream critics, mainstream, all of the mainstream. And mainstream is actually just a substitution word for white. But for yes. mainstream <laughs> attention, okay? Mainstream attention. I've submitted a couple things to Analog. One of them was brilliant, but I know it pissed them off because it used their names. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to keep submitting things to them, and eventually they're going to have to publish one. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they're mad at me. But you know what? Once I am the MC at the Hugo Awards, all bets are off. I, I will have arrived. There's no way you can hide William Hayashi anymore. And then people are going to go, man, he's got that Japanese name, but he looks like a big-headed Puerto Rican guy. They're going to, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, well, you know, I know what I look like. You know, I'm, I look well, I mean, I'm curious now because like when I first heard the name, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to picture, like, um, Okay. Well, my dad, my my dad was <laughs> Japanese, and my mom is black. Um, they met, believe it or not, and this blows my mind. They met at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and I, I you know, for the life of me, I got, I have no idea. You just never know what's going to happen. My dad was a World War II veteran. He went through, you know, he his family lost everything because they got locked up in a um, internment camp in Utah. And my mom uh, originated, originated, I guess, in Oklahoma, and I think her family got, what I heard was her dad, my grandfather, and his uh, brother 
were chased out of Oklahoma because they were more successful cattlemen than some of the white cattlemen, and, you know, they were threatening to lynch them. So they came up to California, or came up to Chicago, and my grandfather started working for Chicago Northwestern Railroad. But, you know, I, I was biracial before they even had the term biracial. You know, I was born in the 50s. And, and, and when you talk about diversity, I think that I'm probably a great example of diversity. Um, and as Joe Biden said, I'm even articulate, too. <laughs> he said that about Barack. And they're best friends now. But so I'm one of those 7,000 black creatives out there who, who has done something. And what I've done, everybody else says, or uh, other people say is significant, but I, I'm not at that threshold yet. You know, I don't see Lena J, you know, doing illustrations for analog or you know, being the art director for X movie or X uh, TV show or anything like that. I don't see, you know, uh, Ronald T. Jones, you know, writing space operas that are being filmed by Sci-Fi Channel. You know, there there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of us who I believe are probably not getting their due, no, who are not getting their due, probably merely because of, well, because of two things. It's hard to get your get your name above the background noise, and um, I still think that people that African Americans do not get the same credit that somebody who is white would get for the same style of work. You know, my 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 missive for that is that you know to be of color, to be black in America, is to do twice as much to get half the credit. Hello. Uh, well, now let so, me add on to that real quick. <laughs> sure, um, please. You know, because um, uh, I'm going to play the woman card now. <laughs> um, here's the thing. You know, um, there's a there's a there's a um, there's a book title by a deceased author. I'm a fan of B.B. Moore Campbell. Your blues ain't like mine. And mm-hmm. uh, to be biracial in America. I can't fathom it. Um, I think it's kissing cousins with being African-American exclusively. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm some hybrid of some other stuff too, but primarily African-American. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's a different type of battle, and I'm, I'm compassionate and sympathetic to it. My thing is when people don't want to hear, like, your blues, they automatically assume, oh, you've got it easy because you're biracial, at least white people will accept you more. The assumption that they would accept someone more just because um, they are biracial. Um, And I know you have a lot to say on that, but I'm just saying from the outside looking in, that that always bothered me when someone sort of like um, poo-poo's somebody's experience because they just assume um, I'm this, that, and the other. So I've I've had it the hardest. No, no, you haven't had it the hardest. I've had it the hardest. Um, for me as a woman, I've found that, you know, African-American men have a different challenge as, as, as working artists than I do. You know, it, 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 we're not lumped together just because we're African-American. There's some things that we're going to deal with, but then there's a whole other level to just being a woman um, mm-hmm. that I wasn't – I kind of had an idea when I was a little girl you know, like in art class back in the day, but I really didn't think I'd still be kind of fighting that battle now. 
at, at my age, I'm 45, and still dealing right. with the gender thing and the race thing, you know, and I don't want it to get me down. I, I, you know, I've learned to kind of look at it as my angle. You know how like a newspaper um, reporter is looking for what's the angle, what's my insight on this, what's going to be right. the draw. That's kind of how I've chosen to look at being a African-American woman and not look at it as a challenge. I just told a student that at, at um, Johnson C. Smith, you know, I'm, a bl- I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm a double minority, it's going to be so hard for me. And I was like, no, you, you've mm-hmm. got to change your perspective. You really have mm-hmm. to look at it like, no, I'm a woman, so I've got a whole different perspective that maybe isn't getting out there, so I'm going to be fresh, or I'm an African-American, and, you know, I'm going to be able to see my side and the mainstream side. Quick story, I was doing artwork for the Comedy Zone back in the 90s. I was doing caricatures for different comedians, uh, Carrot Top, Rich Scheidner, and we were in a meeting, and Richard Sh- Rich Scheidner looked at me, and he was like, I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just, I've got to ask you this. You know, he's a white guy, and he's like, um, mm-hmm. he was popular at the time, and he's like, uh, do you think you'll be able to kind of get into my thing because I'm a white guy? And I was like, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm going to say this, and consequences be damned because <laughs> I'm the only chip in the cookie in the room and the only woman, you know, not just right, the only black. Right. And I was like, well, no offense, but I see you people on TV all the day. I mean, all, all the time. The challenge is, I don't have a challenge trying to get into you. You're everywhere. <laughs> You're like water. You're ubiquitous. I can't escape white people. And, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know, the, the mood lightened in the room. Everybody's laughing, and it's all cool. And if it was a nervous laugh, I didn't pick up on it, you know. But I just remember thinking in that moment, um, yeah, there's going to always be people that are going to assume because I'm black or because I'm a woman, I won't be as good as this person or I won't get the humor. They're going to have to tiptoe around it because they're afraid I'm, they're going to offend me because I'm a female and they can't be blue or something like that. And I don't want people to, like, I don't want to be around guys that turn into cavemen, but I'm not that delicate. You know, I can I can take it. So, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what I wanted to add to it. Um, the, the, the gender thing has been such a big topic after Hillary lost the election. Now we're having to look at ourselves as a country and go, you know, maybe the problem is not just the color line with the 20th century, but the 21st century has a problem with the hemline. We've got, you know, a thing with gender as well as race, you know, and you can be mad about it. And, again, it's like I said before, it's sink or swim. Use it to your advantage or be pissed about it. What you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? Race is so polarizing right now because mm-hmm. white, whites were terrified. They were terrified that their privilege, their built-in white privilege, was over when Barack Obama was elected and reelected. So race is so polarizing right now. Um, that that you know we end up with a mope that we've got in the White House right now, thanks to thanks to a number of things. All right, I you know and like I said, I, we we probably shouldn't get into politics, but but when you think about what your your real opportunities are as a a creative of color, 
unfortunately, you have to factor that into the equation. You know, it shouldn't be that way where you have to worry about, well, shoot, am I going to be a black creative and am I going to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune? Am I going to be a black female creative and now I've got a double whammy on me? Um, you know, and, and, and so it, it does play into it. But I think one of the cool things nowadays is that with, with so many tools out there, so much digital medium, media, and, and so many social networking platforms and, and just even content creation platforms, there, mm-hmm. there's definitely a chance for you to get your work out there. Okay, there's no oh, excuse yes. for you to not to get your work time. out there. <laughs> the, the challenge is to, to find that kind of creative hook, that little, mm-hmm. that little thing that people go, oh, man, I didn't even think of that. Let me click on this you know, to get people to find out who you are and, and to try to build momentum or build a, um, build, you know, build momentum from that and, and get, the, get the people who are, you know, who are most likely to check you out. Um, so that, that's, again, well, that's uh, great. I wanna, I mean, go ahead. I want to bring up something with that. Um, sure. There, I'm not... Hmm. I'm not going to mention her by name, but, okay. um, oh, gosh, she's like a mentor to me. But here's the thing I'm going to say, and if you're kind of uh, up on comic strip artists, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, whoever's listening, you know. But um, there is an African-American woman who um, was a pioneer in, in, in cartooning. There are not that many of them, so it's like, okay, it's one or the other. <laughs> and, right. Um, I'm a big fan of hers, but if I can just be very honest, um, you know, I'm not even going to be cowardly. I'm just going to go. Ahead. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, you know, the fact the first was, um, you know, Jackie Ormez with her um, Torchy Brown back in the 1940s. First African American mm-hmm. female to have a, com- a, a comic strip that was um, was nationally published, but it was published. So she was the first uh, Jackie Ormez sure. with um, with Torchy Brown. And then many years later, in the 80s, came Barbara Brandon with Where I'm Coming From. And she's the daughter of uh, Brenton uh, Weepals, the guy who did Weepals. Make a long story short, the thing that I observed as a teenager when I'm reading, you know, her comic strip in the newspaper, I'm happy to see her there. I'm like, oh, wow, it's a comic strip in the newspaper, and there's Beetle Bailey and Blondie and and uh, uh, trying to think of and, and Garfield, and then they're African American women, little disembodied head characters talking about topics. But here is my issue, William, and I have been in contact with Barbara Brandon. I love her work, but it was mm-hmm. she boxed herself in. If you weren't a black woman, you're not feeling that. It was like wait to sell for comic strips. It's just like sister girl this, sister girl that. My hair this, men are trip. Oh, my God, my period's on. I mean, it's just like woman stuff, woman stuff all the time. And I'm a woman, and I got bored with it. And, I, and what I learned from that is, okay, I got to be able to bring more to the table than just being black, whatever my, you know, my outside appearance is. It's kind of like, like, you ever see a comedian, and this is one of my pet peeves, and all they talk about is their, their, their thing. They've got that one shtick, their, their one thing that they're, they're known for, and they stay on it. Like, I hate an overweight comedian that all his jokes about being fat. I hate mm-hmm. a black comedian 
where every joke is black folks do this, white folks do that, black folks do this, mm-hmm, white folks mm-hmm. do that. A female comedian who's always talking about, oh, my God, I can't get a date, and, oh, I'm, I'm you know, my hair, and I'm so fat when I look in the mirror, and is my butt big, and, you know, just or, nothing but female all, jokes. All men are dogs. Yeah, or all, all men, men are dogs. Are dogs. They're, they're ragging on men and stuff like that. Yeah, right. no, I, and, I, I and get you with my category, yeah. and I'm still like, you got anything else? There's more to us than just being women. I love, and I think that applies with everything, with writing. You know, when you look at Shonda Rhimes, um, she's not successful because she's speaking to only black women. She's beyond her category. You know, for those who don't know sure. it, she got into it with the Princess Diaries. You know, that's Anne Hathaway. That's about as white as it gets. You know, right. and she wrote that. And to go from that to, you know, Grey's Anatomy and How to Go with Murder and Scandal, if those TV shows only spoke to a black audience, I'm not saying she wouldn't be successful because you have your Tyler Perry's, you know, who are definitely speaking to a black audience, you know, decidedly speaking to a black audience. But for me, I'm really trying to do a, a sort of a balancing act of, Addressing the things that aren't being said because there isn't hasn't been a voice yet to address certain things that a black female can bring to the table. But then also I want to get the mainstream attention. I want to, and not because it's so much about money for me as there's more to me than just being a black female. There's so many interests, my music, um, uh, my the, the diversity of my friendships, is more than just being African-American female. And I like my art to speak to that. that that's the thing that I've mm-hmm. got to say gets me about some creatives. It's like they feel like, it, especially with hoteps, they're on a mission to, to put it out there, you know. And I'm not right. saying that you, you shouldn't because we necessarily do it. And, um, you know, that, that, that foot is still on our neck, if you know what I mean. But mm-hmm. that being said, Sometimes you have to put down the flag and say, okay, if um, if I want to at least get in the door, I may need to kind of like embrace more than just my personal experience and kind of be open um, to, to some other things as well. And I think it's a fine line because, you know, you have people who say, well, that's selling out. And I was like, no, that's being complex. That's being layered. That's being more than just like one note. You know that that's kind of I tell by the way I'm getting kind of riled up about it that that's a thing with me that the boxing yourself in thing I hate that. Well, and and um, one of the things that I respect Louis C.K. for because he actually came out and, and actually said this is that he will never do two uh, once he does a certain joke or a hunk or a story or whatever he's never going to do it again. He said he wants to do all new stuff every time he performs. Because I didn't know that. You know, I love to, him. <laughs> yeah. He used to sit on, you know, his best his best um, routines and bring them out early on in his career. And then later on, um, I forget where I heard him say this. It was on one of the talk shows where he said that, um, you know, he, I think he's, he even gave credit for that to maybe maybe uh, George Carlin. 
you know, never doing the same stuff twice. But Love, I mean, <laughs> it, that 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 goes right to to the essence of what you're talking about. First of all, we, we the thing about all entertainers or or you know the, the mistake that people make about black creatives and black entertainers is that we're a monolith. You know, and that oh, you can say it, say it twice, say it twice. <laughs> well, <laughs> and we are okay, not Buddha, literally. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean seriously, they they think that they go, oh, you know, uh, uh, Chris Rock is just uh, piggybacking off of Richard Pryor, blah 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 blah, and and then but you go, well, there's always somebody before, jeez. Well, yeah, not only that, but but telling stories about the way people behave is funny. You know, Bill Cosby did it best at the very 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 beginning. Bill Cosby, Dick Gregory. You know, you look at uh, Red Fox, you look at all of the, the black comedians who came up through the 60s, and thankfully, because of Playboy magazine, you know, Playboy After Dark, yes. uh, um, uh, the, the, the Mr. Kelly here in Chicago. Yeah, and so, yes, there, there's a foundation of black creative talent that we build off that foundation, but, you know, Kevin Hart, Chris Rock, even even what's his name? Stupid boy from Rush Hour. Um, the shower. Uh, Chris Tucker. Uh, Chris Tucker. And I, I didn't mean stupid boy. I apologize for that. Because he's going to hear this, I'm and then my, ass, my name is going to come up, and then I'll, you know. But 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 all of them build on at least a a uh, a foundation of the black experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the black experience is different. From the white experience, for each the, and, and between the, us, uh, yeah. And oh, what about Steve Gregory? You know, he's here a different, a different comedy act than Richard Pryor, and absolutely, it, absolutely. It just, I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned the comedian thing because you know, again, as a cartoonist, um, I feel like I say that all the time. But as a cartoonist, um, you know, I I have to work at being funny because that's not my primary thing. I'm an, a visual artist. But, you mm-hmm. know, humor will come, but um, it, it, it does take more effort than just the, the, the hand-eye coordination thing. And when I'm sitting back watching comedians on television or live, you know, I'm really studying them because a lot can be learned from their pace and the way that mm-hmm. they craft a story within the joke. Um, mm-hmm. And... I, I guess, you know, like people are going to argue, like, who's better, who's funnier. Um, when it comes to black comedians, the thing that I – let's see, how can I sum this up? Um, okay, I'm going to give an example. Key and Peele okay. versus Dave Chappelle. Sure, um, absolutely. Perfect example. And I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, I like all three of them. I'm a fan of them both. And I can even see where Dave Chappelle is coming from. His whole thing was, I was here first, you know, give props where props are due. There'd be no key and peel without me. I am the greatest. I started this whole uh, format for for a comedy show. Um, right. And then you got key and peel, and they're like, okay, we're going to give you credit for, like, having the show on first. And, yeah, we did borrow some things from your format, but then – we made it our own, and, and we, we have our own thing to it. Um, I won't get into which one is, is better, but what I will say is the thing you mentioned, the black monolith, that's the thing right. that gets me where 
you know, we have to group everybody in together, it's like, okay, I like some things about, say, some more that mm-hmm. um, I can, that are totally different than the things I like about the comedy of Chris Rock. I want to use those mm-hmm. because they're, they're very opposite. Or I like, um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, kept name Slickback. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's nuts. Um, <laughs> with the permed hair. Um, Cat Williams. Oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. This is right. And, you know, and, you know, I think that, yeah, his comedy is not high-reaching. You know, um, it doesn't take a lot to get his jokes. But he's funny. Right. He's funny. I won't deny yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But I'm expecting a very different experience when I'm listening to Chris Rock's jokes. Um, again, he's not using, like, William F. Buckley words, but he is uh, saying some things that, you know, are worthy of marinating later on that night about. Like, <clears throat> wow. Right. Like, um that's giving me pause to think right now about it. Um, that mm-hmm. is kind of like, again, to bring it back to, to, to my discipline, that's my thing as an artist. It's like, okay, I want that Tyler Perry wide appeal. <laughs> sure. I want well, that you know, I got a question for appeal. you about that. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Who are Who are some of the people in your field who are, you know, who were influences for you or, or may still be influences for you? Okay. Um, I love to talk about this because, um, you know, um, I, I love to think about the people who've inspired me. Um, it it, it sure. brings up a little girl in me. Growing up, the first artist that inspired me, well, my dad was one of them. He was my very first, you know, person. But famous-wise, sure. and I had a chance to meet him, was um, – Ernie Barnes, and for those who are not in the know, Ernie Barnes is the artist who does the paintings that J.J. did on Good Times. Um, okay. When you see J.J.'s artwork on Good Times, you're looking at Ernie Barnes's work. And Mar- um, Marvin Gaye's album covers. Yeah, you go, Sugar Shack. And, um, and, and so many others. And Sugar Shack, um, the Marvin Gaye album, you know, cover is the one most people think of when, you know, they're trying to think of him or the painting of Black Jesus if you watch Good Times. <laughs> and you remember when he did that episode where he paints Ned the Wino. Okay, so sure. Ernie Barnes um, was one of my first inspirations, but um, I'm all over the place. I've been inspired by artists like Matisse, um, um, Henri Matisse, um, you know, that's we're talking the Renaissance period. Romare Beard is, oh, sure. is yeah. from Charlotte, um, uh, Queen City Zone. Uh, Jacob Lawrence. Um, but then I've also inspired by cartoonists. Mort Drucker is one of my hugest influences oh, yeah. from that yeah. magazine. Um, Jack Davis. Um, there's still things I do now that are clearly paying homage to 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 the work of Mort Drucker, and. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge comic book fan. I mean, and I still collect, you know. Um, right. I don't have that expensive weekly habit, you know, like crack with comic <laughs> books that some of my friends have. It, it gets expensive. You can't keep it up. But um, That's true. And, I, and I'm more into like the slice of life comics, but uh, artists like Wendy Piney Penny, if you've ever heard of ElfQuest. Um, I have it, but I'm sure oh. others have, yeah. Yes, oh, no. that, well, that, I, you know, I, I don't get out much, you know, with the ankle bracelet and everything. No, go ahead. 
<laughs> so uh, she was she uh, Wendy Wendy Piney Penny whatever and Richard Piney. Um, those were some of my first influences. Um, I fell in love with ElfQuest. That was to this day one of my favorite comic books. Love and Rockets. Um, Jaime Hernandez and uh, 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 Gilbert Hernandez. I've had a chance to meet you know Jaime and and Gilbert, and I was nervous like some people get around meeting a rock star, you know, it was like, oh, my mm-hmm, God, mm-hmm. Jaime Hernandez is right in front of me. Um, uh, Colleen Duran, who does a distant soil. Um, there, there's so many that, that inspire me. And then there's some local people, too, but uh, I was fortunate to, to find my own style. Um, I try not to be too critical of artists whose work is too derivative of another artist. Um, right. Because... Sometimes it takes a while to to kind of find your look, to find your thing. But we all borrow from somebody. You know, it, it's nothing new under the sun. But it, because my experience was a combination of so many different people growing up, you know, and I drew all the time, I couldn't help but kind of find my own style. And I'm very fortunate to have that because um, there's nothing, I think, worse for somebody if you were creative and somebody's always telling you, you know what your work looks like, you know what your writing reminds me like, reminds me of, that would get on my nerves if somebody were always uh-huh. telling me, you know, when I see your work, it reminds me of so-and-so. That's got to suck. Sure. Sure. No, I get that. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, where, you know, with the kind of work that you do now, and, and you do have a certain amount of recognition, otherwise people wouldn't be commissioning you to do the things that you're doing, um, but let's, let's talk the future just for a little while. Uh, wh- okay. where, do you see your, where do you see yourself like five years from now? Are there certain kinds of commissions or kinds of, of works that, that, you're, that you're shooting? Okay, like mm-hmm. me wanting to MC the Hugos. What do you have that you cool. look to for your own future? You know what I'm saying? Um, that's a that's a that's a wonderful question. I know exactly what the answer is. Um, first I'll tell you where I am. Where I am okay. now is um, I'm making a living, a good living. Um, as you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not rich by any stretch of imagination, but you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like my house and you know, bills are paid and I get to travel and you know pay for my daughter in college. So, you know, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Um but sure. it's not the you know, that's not the, the where I want to end, you know. Um so caricatures, commissions to do murals, children's book illustration, that's where I'm currently. Where I want to end up five years from now, the ultimate goal has always been to have my own animated cartoon series on television. I want to pick up where Amber Greer left off with the boondocks, you know, just to give you a visual of, sure. you know, where I'm going. Uh, I don't want to do anything like the boondocks. Um, my style and the subject matter I want to put out there is nothing like his show, but he's the most visible black cartoonist, you know, and his show was extremely popular. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's kind of the goal to kind of, you know, if I could just get it on on TV, that would be great. Um, but the challenge of getting there, people would be surprised how difficult 
that has been. I've got as close to uh, oxygen, um, the VP of programming, looking at um, my comic strip, Bohemian Cafe, and got her attention. And she says uh, to me, um, and this is back when Oprah was with um, Oxygen, and she's like, this is great, but it reminds us too much of Hey Moni. And I don't know if you've ever seen this sh- the cartoon series Hey Moni, but I was no. like, my cartoon is nothing like Hey Moni other than they're African-Americans. But, you know, it was a diverse cast. I had, um, you know, <laughs> the shaggy from Scooby-Doo-looking white guy. I had, uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the peppermint patty kind of white girl, um, the sure. bisexual Puerto Rican girl who's kind of a freak. Um, it was the real world meets living single meets fame. And a note on, you know, when it's time to pack it up and, and kind of go in a different direction. I had to be honest with myself. And this is something that I hope that people are listening to me hear me, and I'm going to be very honest. I think that people should continue to create comic books, continue to create comic strips, but know that the tide is changing, that that industry is, you know, we're we're leaving print media. People aren't Mm -hmm. buying books like they used to. Everything is going digital, and you're competing with the juggernauts. You've got DC, Marvel, okay, much further down the line, you've got Dark Horse. um, At one point there was Image. I'm not quite sure if they're kind of in there. I don't know. But DC and Marvel remain the two biggest ones. They'll never have to worry about people supporting their titles, you know. But for the fledgling comic book indie artists that are coming in, it's going to be a challenge. And I would definitely say Mm -hmm. go for it, but be flexible. For me, I did a comic strip with my characters. That didn't, you know, I had some local success, but it didn't go any further than my city. So then I decided, okay, I'm going to do comic books again. Only went so far. A couple of comic book conventions. And then eventually I decided to turn it into a graphic novella. And then finally, I just had to, you know, say, you know what, print media is not going to be the way for me. I'm going to go for the gust. I'm going to go with what I really want is to do it as an animated series and maybe go a different route because that is one of the things that I find a lot of creatives have a challenge doing. And this is, in my opinion, they want to do their thing and they don't pay attention if their buying audience isn't into it. I know people who don't have this um, this concept they want to do. And it's like, okay, but, you know, there's not, people aren't buying that. You have to know when to say, okay, I'm going to back away from this and maybe go over here. Not be a total right. sellout and just, you know, um, go for the money only, but maybe just readjust it because, we can't be so in love with our own voice as a writer, as an artist, as an actor, that um, we don't know when to switch gears. That, that's been my mm-hmm. thing. Like, okay, this isn't working. <laughs> I need to try another way to do this. You know, that's, that, that's the thing well, I, I have to stress. One of the things that I have helped out a couple other companies that were media companies, they had content uh one of them had a robotic uh, uh, world, you know. And, and one of the things that I believe that creatives who are going in the direction that you just dis- just discussed is that they have to look at the term and, and what is encompassed by the term transmedia. 
Okay, mm-hmm. and and tra- and and transmedia is the the cross platform presentation of your creative world. Okay, so you know we could talk about comics, we could talk about um, uh, cartoon, we could talk about uh, 3D animation, we can talk about motion comics, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but. But the thing that I think people have to to pay attention to is 10 years from now, where are people, where, are your, where is your audience going to get their content from, okay? And if, if you don't pay attention to the fact that more and more and more and more and more people are getting their content, whether it be news, jokes, mm-hmm. movies, even where is it all going to? It's going to their phones, okay? It's going to their yes. mobile devices, all right? So if you don't pay attention to that and you don't adjust whatever creative output you have for the coming tide, and I'm giving this away for free. This is like $400,000 a year advice. No, I'm serious. I'm serious about what you're doing. You, I am listening to you. If you don't, if you, and it's the editorial you, it's not personally you, if you don't pay attention to the fact that most people, especially people of color, are going to be getting their content strictly on their, on their phones and their tablets, you millennial. are going mm-hmm. to lose out. You are going to lose out. You don't even have to call them millennials. What, what, what do parents give their kids right now to shut them the hell up and make them sit in the back seat? <laughs> and not bother the parents, they give them a tablet. Okay, you, know, you give a two-year-old or a three-year-old a tablet, what are you building? You're building a habit for a lifetime. So, anyhow, um, no, I know what's coming. That's an excellent point. <laughs> we were, um, I'm on the um, advisory board um, for the uh-huh. Arts and Science Council here in my city. And um, sure. it's um, it's really cool because um. It, imagine, if you will, it, it's, um, you know, we're usually in some boardroom and it's comprised of um, uh, local businessmen, um, educators, entrepreneurs, um, and then your grassroots people, your, your artists are in there. And, mm-hmm. But the majority are, 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 are corporate folks. And the power that I feel when I go in there, because, you know, we're, sitting back discussing, like, you know, what programs, you know, need to get the green light and what we need to do more of this, that, and the other, how can we make um, uh, this more prominent in the city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what you just said came up in one of the meetings. Somebody said, we're going to have to adjust the way that we get people to donate money. Nowadays, people are using their phone. If you don't have a phone app, so they can, like, don't just, like, kind of, they want to be able to push a button and, and do that real quick. They're not trying to write you a check. They're not trying to, you know, do it the old-fashioned way. They they want a phone app. And, you know, I was sitting back listening to it, and I was like, wow, I never really thought of it that way. And, again, there was that feeling of being behind the digital divide. Like, okay, well, you better get with the program or, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to kind of feel like you're feeling the day, like, oh, wow, is that what's going on? Like, Mm-hmm. I had no idea. It was it was an eye opening experience for me. They 
kept focusing on everybody uses their phone. They want to do everything by phone. If you can't make it accessible accessible to them by their phone or their tablet, then they're going to lose interest or they're not going to, you know, do whatever you want them to do. So that's kind of, you know, where I am as well. Like, okay, um, I'm going to need to, you know, find a way to to put myself in front of people beyond just um, them logging into, say, social media, but like an app, something like that. Well, and, and that's the thing. You know, you have to, in order to get people to do something, you have to take away every reason for them to say no. I like that. It's, no, it's true. Mm-hmm. All right? So if no, you I'm, have I'm marinating on sell, it. If you have something to sell and you don't have a business card with a QR code on it that sends them to your site online, you're a failure. Okay? You don't know what the hell you're doing. Wow. <laughs> Tell me how well, you really I, feel, William. <laughs> well, I like that. You know what? Okay. I have people ask. I have people They they ask me questions about. Well, how can I do this? How can I do that? You know. Oh, can you help me write a? Help me write the uh, the story of my life. You know, you're a writer. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and I make the joke about it, but it's true. And I go, well, what makes you think your life is that compelling that people are going to read about it? And they go, well, because I think I've had a really interesting life that people are going to want to know about. And I go, well, <laughs> right. that, that can't be true because you're boring the shit out of me right now. So, you know, I'm I'm less forgiving. And, you know, like I said, I'm I'm a rocking chair and a porch away from being that guy saying, get the hell off my lawn. Damn kids but on my lawn. I don't, right, right. I, don't have, I don't have any patience for people who can't think ahead or refuse to. You know, when, when you give somebody a brilliant idea, like what I just said, if your business card doesn't have a QR code leading people to your website so that they can find exactly what you're doing, that that right there is a fifty thousand dollar idea. Okay, yeah, that's a fifty thousand dollar idea. You loud that's what you that's what you pay a marketing company fifty thousand dollars to put together your marketing campaign. Okay, and it's the simple things like that. Well, when people can't just grasp that, they're they're basically they're lining themselves up for failure. And that's a tough thing to deal with because nobody wants to tell somebody, you know, you haven't got a chance. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Please step off. You know, and and there are so many people who are going to tell you so many different things. You know, like everybody says, oh, social media is the way to go. Really? Really? You have 5,000 people who already know about your stuff, and yet every third post you have is, hey, buy my stuff. Yeah, are those people going to be more inclined to buy your stuff or less inclined to buy your stuff? And you you know what? I got people arguing with me (laughs) all the time, and I'm sitting here going, "Well, you know, uh, somebody who was going to buy this advertising and marketing uh, company offered me a job for four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year." And they're going, "Well, why didn't you take it?" I said, first of all, I can't sit someplace for forty hours a week if there's not forty hours worth of work. All right, if I finish all my work at four hours on Monday, I I should be able to go do what the hell I want to do when I want to do it, okay? So, so you know, people go, well, how could you turn that down? I go, because it wasn't for me. You know, at least I had the balls enough to say it wasn't for me, okay? Anybody else would have gone, oh, I'll take the job, and then they would have been miserable, miserable 
for mm-hmm. 36 hours out of the week. So I'm with you, William. I, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I know how to build market share. I know how to, you know, it's like my own books. People go, well, why aren't you, you know, buying these ads? I said, the only ad I'm going to buy when I have the spare money is I'm buying a full-page ad. During the silly season, like right after the weekend after Thanksgiving, I'm buying a full-page ad in the New York Times book section. That's the only ad that's going to make a difference because that ad alone is going to get 20,000 books of mine sold. Yes. And they go, really? How do you know that? I go, because I know that, because that's the stats. There are people out there who will buy a book merely, merely because it was advertised that weekend in the New York Times book section. Okay? They go, how do you know that? I said, because I did my homework. Okay, I'm not putting an ad in Analog. I'm not putting an ad in Asimov's. You know, okay, yeah, they're 1500 bucks, but they're not big enough. I want to be bigger than science fiction. I want to be speculative fiction. I want to be bigger than Afrofuturism. I want to be mainstream science fiction. I have plans. I have set out my plans in motion because I did my research. When people come to me with some wild-ass plan for how they're, oh, okay, I've said this before. Let me tell you how Stupid. Too many black authors in Chicago were back when I first when I first wrote my first book. It was 2001, and I got into a bunch of networking groups, and I I met literally hundreds of black authors in this city. And you know what their marketing plan was? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna get my book into Oprah's book club, and then I'm set for life. That was their marketing plan. Okay, that's as stupid as deciding that the lottery is going to be your retirement program. Okay, so I admit I don't have the patience anymore for nonsense. But if you want to think in terms of what is really good for putting your stuff together, getting it out there, trying to get your your name up above the background noise, then you have to think hard because there are so many people who have thought of the one, the two, the three things that that everybody is doing that aren't working. Okay, so you have to be creative. And you also, the, the final, in the final analysis, you have to have something that people want. If you don't have something that people want, not only are you wasting your time, but you're wasting your potential customer's time and money. If I wrote a book and then people said, you know, this is bullshit. You know, this, is, this was terrible. Your ending was awful. Not only did I, did I do an unworthy job, but I stole from people. Okay, I stole from them. I stole their money because uh, I had a, a great cover, they read it, and then the story didn't deliver. So that's the other thing that creatives have to think about, you know? And that's why at the beginning, you know, it should be 100% thinking about what you're going to do and why people should buy from you. Why should people buy your artwork? Because it's fantastic, because it says something, because it touches their heart. Whatever reason, why should people buy your story? Why should people buy your movie? Same reason. You know, I'm looking at the time. We've got about five minutes left, and I I, I just all of, these people, <laughs> all of these people in the chat room online all of this time because I told them you were going to tell us about you being a professional snake charmer. So <laughs> cough it up, girl. What is, what is that all about, you being a professional snake charmer? <laughs> I do not want to end on that note. <laughs> Well, okay, then uh, say it fast, and we'll talk about something else. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, I admit I'm curious. Is, is it a bad thing? Is it something you want to hide? Is it something you don't want to talk about? Because now that I've said it, everybody wants to know, but if you deny us, 
hearing about it, we're, okay. we're going to probably okay. think terrible things about you. Uh, let's so, see here. So what what I will say is um, I captivate. I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. So can I paraphrase? Can I see if I understand what you're talking about? <laughs> Go ahead. That, that, that your works, that your performances, that your appearances are so engaging that people often are are drawn to you and mesmerized by you to such an extent that they often forget that they're actually being charmed. Let me me twist it a little bit. There's some truth in that, but here's what I'll say about it. Um, Okay. It has been my calling card that people like to see themselves drawn. Uh, and, or, or if not themselves directly, they want to see elements of, of, of who they are. And okay. if you can kind of like put it in a way that, um, that offers humor, that offers like, you know, we talked about earlier um, satire, parody, but don't piss anybody off then you can charm your audience, um, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Ernie Barnes once told me that he was like, I get that there are going to be things that are going to irritate you as an artist, but nobody really wants to pay to see your anger. I mean, yeah, there are people who've kind of made a career from that, but they found a way to do it where it doesn't seem like they're, you know, like they're always pissed off. Yeah. It. There's an art to yeah, it. Yeah, I can get it. Um, you can fuss about Trump. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, having a, a good time, you know, kind of like at his expense making jokes like everybody else, you know. But I don't ever want to come off hateful. Like I want him to, something to happen sure. to him. I don't dislike right. him. I don't hate him. And I mean, I just don't want him necessarily as our president. But I think when it comes off as hate and anger or rage, that's the turnoff. So um, if you can kind of, uh, take elements of um, what's funny about being uh, a Southerner, what's funny about being, um, a, 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 you know, um, a, a, a mother, what's funny about being working for corporate America, what's funny about being black, what's funny about being whatever your category is. People are okay with that um, if it's real, if it's honest, but it's not mean-spirited. I think that's when mm-hmm. you, you lose people. So, um, for me, you know, uh, I think you can be charming and still pick at people or you can exaggerate them, you know, if, if I'm drawing their picture. But there must be some, right. something flattering. Otherwise, it's like, why am I going to pay you or why am I going to sit through your set or why am I going to read your column if I'm just going to be mad? I mean, I, I, I just that's not the way I want to go about doing it anyway. That doesn't work for me. Well, and, and you're right. It is, a, it is a tough line to walk. I mean, someone who walks that line beautifully, beautifully, and, and it astounds me every time I watch one of his concerts, is, uh, what's his name? Black. Um, who, he was on, uh, he was on the, the, the Daily Show, Back in Black. Um, I can't think of his first name. Somebody put it in the chat room for me, but uh, comedian? somebody black. Yeah, comedian. His uh, hold on. You know, now I got to use the Google. 
Oh, while you're searching, can I do some yeah, um, shameless plugs? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Please do. Yeah. Tell people um, where we can find you, how we can keep up with you, and also, please, um, uh, Louis Black, um, please consider. You know, whenever you're going to do an appearance, you're going to be in a con- uh, convention or something like that. Put it in our the Black Science Fiction Society dot com's uh, events calendar. So if people are in your neighborhood and want to check you out, please, you know, go ahead with what you were I would say though. you could start with YouTube, um, and I'm the artist known as Lena J. Um, okay. I'm changing my branding so that everything is kind of under Lena J, but um, that's where my, my animated cartoons are going to appear. I mean, I've got some up now, but um, there's more coming, you know, because um, it, it's still a new thing for me. Um, there is uh, The World According to Lena J., there's my blog, The Art of um, Lena the Art Diva, and that features features like my caricatures. But um, yeah, that that's ultimately kind of what I I, I want people to, to look at the YouTube channel because that's where a mm-hmm. lot of my focus is going to be on, and of course social media like we just got through discussing. Mhm, mhm. Great. Um, we're 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 out of time. I mean, we could probably talk another couple hours, but. Um, I, I want to thank you for being here, uh, for those uh, thank of you, you. Lena J. And then, um, you know, I, I apologize for not remembering speaking to you briefly five years ago. Um, but It's been I'm, five years. It's cool. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was. And plus, you know, I was, I was driving home from the tennis club, so, you know, I had to make sure I wasn't running over busloads of nuns and children and animals and stuff you like that. You thing about nuns. <laughs> well, you know, they're they're such powerful people, powerful imagery. Um, I I was not raised Catholic, fortunately, but a lot of my friends were. Um, anyway, oh yeah, I went to a I, Catholic elementary school. I know that experience. <laughs> yeah, well, well, hang on now. I'm going to bring uh, uh, Jarvis on to close out the show, and then okay. hold on afterwards in case anybody has any last minute questions that they want to put into the chat room, and that's the after show where, you know, I, we do that to try to suck people into staying till the end, and then they can hear the cool okay. stuff. And, and the after show is not PG-13 either, so that's, that's also a draw. So, Jarvis, take it away. <laughs> okay, I'm a little tired, so I'm going to keep it real simple. I just want to thank everyone, as always, for supporting what we do. Um, oh, we thank been... you. Yes. Yes, we have a great time learning from each other and sharing our experiences um, with the community. And I just want to ask everyone to please come on the site and share what you're doing and some of your work on on Black Science Fiction Society and the forums and the photos and also in the events calendar so people can know um, what you're actually doing and where you are. And we'll share that out with all the, the members as well. Um, and I just, I'm just really excited that people still enjoy what we do here and come in and support and listen and, and share, um, all this great information. It's always exciting to me to hear other people's, uh, creative work and their creative processes and their viewpoints and how they got where they are now. I did not know some of the stuff you shared with us today, particularly the, um, the animated portion. And I'll be looking at stalking all your videos. <laughs> 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 Stalk away. 
<laughs> well, I'll and, tell you what, I, I can't tell you who, but I have a certain celebrity client that uh, we're working on doing, um, we've got a showrunner doing a pitch to, um, well, I said the network to BET, and mm-hmm. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I've been down this road before um, with Bravo, with BET before, a more recent experience where it just went to hell. Um, and so, you know, we fall down and get back up. I don't take it personal. I just keep on going. But it is, um, you know, that that's the ultimate goal. And every time I get a little bit closer, a little bit closer, somebody with a little more juice to kind of get me in the door. Um, so we're going to see how this goes. But it, um, let me just go ahead and say I'm still learning. Uh, I'm, you know, do not expect Disney Pixar Um there's some things I'm still working out at times. The characters look like old Japanese kung fu movies where it's like <laughs> mouths are moving and then <laughs> then the sound, <laughs> you know. So it's, 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 I'm working on it, but uh, I'm excited. You know, that's what I've been wanting to do since I was a little girl. And I never wanted to just work for Disney. I've always wanted to do my own thing. Okay. Okay. We'll keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, it seems like you, like you said, you're getting closer and closer to that goal. I'm certainly trying. <laughs> you know, um, my goal was to never be the old caricature artist lady, you know, at the parties. I was like, okay, I'm 45 now. Um, not that it's a bad career to have, but it's 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 not where I wanted to end up. I don't want to be – I want to be 60, and I'm still – you know, traveling throughout the country to go set up at somebody's bar mitzvah for a wedding reception. Well, you you don't want to be one dimensional. That's I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm ready for the next chapter. Uh, I really am. But um, you know, there's no blueprint, Jarvis. I mean, I wish there was something hey, I could look at and kind of go. Hmm? You get out here and 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 do it. I think uh, what paralyzes a lot of people is. One, fear of failure, and then two, yes. uh, trying to make everything perfect. I, I remember there was, I'm not going to say the name, this mm-hmm. one animator that came out with the show, and I was completely ecstatic about it. My son liked it. It was something good for, it was a family-type show that you could watch. And mm-hmm. kind of fell between but they kept trying to make everything perfect and groundbreaking rather than just let it be what it is. I'm telling you, I, I was all in with the first video. And so here we mm. are uh, four or five years down the line and nothing has progressed further because of, you know, trying to make everything perfect. I can understand making, never one, put your best foot forward, but don't let yourself be paralyzed in terms of, progression to try to make everything perfect. That's perfect advice. I, I've got some some stories to tell about things, I, opportunities that slipped through my fingers because I waited too long because I was trying to make it perfect. And as creative people, I think you and William would probably both agree with me, sometimes we just keep messing with it and messing with it instead of just <laughs> getting it out there. And I'm not saying that you put half-ass work out there, but Wow, I saw something today where somebody said, while you're arguing with somebody on whether the glass is half full or half empty, I've already sold the jar. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow. Oh, that well, and, the, and, 
And the other homily is never let, never give up the good in the name of the perfect. There it is. Ooh, That's I like that. I like this is good stuff. <laughs> it yeah, really is. Yes, I'm a wise old Japanese man, you know. Oh, Japanese. <laughs> 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 I'm going to tell you what came to mind. It's not ancient Chinese secret. Oh, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, ancient Japanese secret, yeah. I yeah. was back in the 77 and dragged that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, I do do good laundry and I can do yard work. I'm just not into it anymore. But uh, <laughs> a quick question, anyway. real quick to ask. Can I ask you all a quick question? Sure. Okay. Um, um, I just just popped in my mind. How how do you feel about? Um, we talked about this earlier, um, William, about the about the, the the PC thing going on in the country. Um, mm-hmm. When you sort of take stabs at your own group, if I'm an Asian woman and I'm sort of making fun of Asian culture. You know, do you think, um, is, is anything off limits? Because you mentioned handyman. I was like, um, is it okay to make fun of disabled? That's kind of, now I'll be honest with you, that's where I personally draw the line. But I'm wondering where you guys are with it. Because, um, like, gay people, you know, I, again, I'm sensitive to it, but not too sensitive. I will say this. You know, I've done some improv. I've done some stand-up. And cool. and the that. the one thing that the, about the only rule that I follow, um, well, no, I don't make fun of the handicap, um, and unless it's like, it's like like Damon Wayans did, but the the one he made rule him this that the I hero follow, exactly that was the way to do it. Yeah, exactly. The is that um, tragedy plus time equals comedy. So you Ooh. know sometimes you'll tell a joke like if you tell a nine eleven joke now. You know, if it doesn't go over well, you can always ask the audience too soon. You know, that sort oh, of yeah. thing. But, <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> set, 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 but I, think, I think good humor and I think smart humor always um, has an audience. Uh, and and oh, the thing yeah. is, is you're not, you're not going to find everybody who approves of your style of humor or the story you told or the joke you told. But if the majority get it, you know, and, and stand-up is the most heartbreaking work I have ever done in my life. And I've worked in hospitals, you know, I, you know I've done this, that, and the other thing. But but with comedy, if you don't get people kind of in the palm of your hand within the first five to eight minutes, you, you're in mm-hmm. for a long night. I've and heard that's that. tough. Um, so as far as humor is concerned, I like doing humor that's unexpected and that, you know, I don't I don't work blue but I can work oh. near to blue um, because, you know, people people don't – people take themselves too seriously. All right, let me just say that. You know, when you talk about uh, politically correct, that's basically what politically correct really is today. When people talk, well, that's not PC. Well, no, what it is is you have a bunch of people who take themselves too damn seriously. And I'll tell everybody a joke that you guys can tell in front of a group when you get up in front of a group and it'll let you know exactly what kind of people you have in the room with you 
so that you can decide if this is a room you want to stay in or Read if you your want to go audience. Home. Well, that's that's partly it. But sometimes you don't know because, remember, an audience is hostile first. They're sitting there going, well, you better entertain my ass, otherwise I'm not going to be happy. But here's a joke that I tell. Yeah, here's here's a joke I tell, and it lets me know exactly what the audience is like right away. Okay? A pedophile and a five-year-old are walking into the forest. Okay, people are now on alert. They're going, oh, this mother, what is he, you know? And so, and I go, and they walk deeper and deeper, and it's getting kind of darker and darker and spookier and spookier. And after 15 minutes, the little boy pulls on the pedophile's arm and says, hey, I'm getting scared. I don't want to be here. This is, this is, is, you know, I'm, I'm really frightened. And the pedophile says, you, I'm the one who has to walk out of here by himself. (laughs) <laughs> See, I was expecting that. <laughs> I just can't exactly. joke. But but that tells you exactly what kind of people you're dealing with. You thought it was funny. I did. You know, Jarvis I did. is going. I'm not where Jarvis you go is going. With it. Jarvis is going. Man. Well, yeah, but but <laughs> see, you know, it's it is a funny joke. But it's people twisted. are too sensitive. <laughs> people think that because I said that, somehow, I told that joke, somehow I think that pedophiles are okay. Well, if you're going to go that with that kind of <laughs> twisted logic, the problem is really with you, not me. I, you know, you I, see I, what I'm saying? I'm sitting here thinking about the joke, and, and it is very twisted, but I can't deny the humor behind it. There was a joke that Tracy Morgan told that um, – and I'm going to have to use an off-color term because it works for me to tell the joke. And But we're all grown here. Are we still on the air? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Well, it's not that bad. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. No, do, do this. Jarvis, why don't you go ahead and end the show, and then that way people will know that they missed one of the best damn jokes we've probably had on the show. <laughs> on the phone. Okay, but stay on the line. Stay on the line. Okay, yeah, don't go anywhere. Okay. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.